We're reading from Second Chronicles chapter 10. I'll just tell you those page numbers again. From the Red Bibles, page 314, the different Bibles that have a red cover, page 445. And at the end of um, chapter 9 in Second Chronicles, Solomon, King Solomon, whom we heard about last week, has died and Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. So I'm going to start reading at verse 1 from Second Chronicles chapter 10 and go to chapter 11 verse 4. Rehoboam went to Shechem for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labour and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, If you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favourable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the load your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, Tell the people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly, rejecting the advice of the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from God to fulfil the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel. Look after your own house, O David. So all the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, 
Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labour, but the Israelites stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Chapter 11. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 fighting men, to make war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam. But this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the ben Israelites in Judah and Benjamin, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from marching against Jeroboam. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, want to thank you for your word and we pray now that uh, as we look at this, uh, this passage, that uh, by your spirit that you'd be opening up our eyes and helping us to see Jesus more clearly, that we would live with him as our king. In his name we pray. Amen. As president, I swear not to deviate from the ideal according to which everyone is entitled to enjoy human rights and fundamental freedoms. So promised Recep Erdogan just last week as he was sworn into another term as president of Turkey. Uh, this uh, from a man who uh, recently, via a referendum admittedly, but recently introduced a new system of government uh, which uh, got rid of the Prime Minister, the entire office of Prime Minister, and has given unprecedented powers to himself. And who, since uh, a failed coup in 2016, has detained 160,000 citizens for political reasons, has imprisoned journalists and has closed down media outlets, uh, such that a few years ago when there were mass uh, protests against the government in the streets of, uh, of Ankara, uh, which CNN International was covering these mass protests, whilst at the same time CNN Turkey was showing a documentary on, you guessed it, penguins. Such is the nature. And a 13-year-old uh, boy was arrested for criticising the president on Facebook. Human rights, fundamental freedoms, I so promise. And yet, this year people still voted for him, didn't they? Uh, they voted him because they were willing to hand authority to someone who they believed would get the job done. Who would you hand authority over to? <laughs> what kind of a person would you want to have power? It's, it's risky business, business, isn't it? 
you know, too much authority in too few hands. One of the reasons, by the way, we're a Presbyterian church, because we're not, we're not ruled by a minister. We have a, 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 a variety of different people who actually exercise authority in this church. And history uh, called elders. And history is littered with leaders who uh, started off in their role with, um, with noble ambitions, with noble intentions, a noble desire to serve, but who over time have progressively accrued more and more power to themselves such that eventually they become oppressors, not servants of their people. Instead of serving people, they expect people to serve them and they crush those who dissent. Last Sunday, <coughs> here in church, if you're with us, we saw what really is the, was the high watermark of the kingdom of Israel. King Solomon had wisdom, he had wealth, he had honour. And God's promises made to Abraham so much earlier than, than Solomon appear to have been fulfilled. What did Israel have? They had a people, descendants of Abraham. They had a land, the whole of the area that God had promised to Abraham. And they had a blessing. They were blessed by God and they were a blessing to the world. And yet, in today's passage, we, we see a hint, a major hint, that not all was well under Solomon. Because after his death, it really didn't take terribly long for the, for the things to start to unravel. As his son, named Rehoboam, succeeded him. And what we see in our passage today is that upon the ascension of Rehoboam as the as the new king, there was a delegation of people who came to see him. And this is where we get the idea that not all was well under Solomon. I want to just read that to you again. Uh, Jackie did read it earlier on, but just to refresh our memories. From chapter 2, chapter 10 rather, of 2 Chronicles, the first five verses. If you'd like to have a look at that in your Bibles. We're told, Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labour and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Now, the, the man who wrote Chronicles, who we, we refer to as the Chronicler, very cool name, um, he assumes that his readers, who uh, lived post the exile, but he assumed that his readers were familiar with other material, that they were familiar with the books of Kings. Because in 1 Kings... We're told this story of a man who became a thorn in the side for Solomon during his time. One of Solomon's subordinates, his name was Rehoboam. 
Now, this is where I get all confused with this passage. I don't know about you, but uh, Rehoboam, who was the subordinate of Solomon, uh, sounds a, a whole lot like Jeroboam, doesn't it? <laughs> and getting the two around the right way is sometimes difficult. But Rehoboam is not the king. Uh, Jeroboam, uh, which way is it? The other way around. So, Jeroboam, this illustrates the point, doesn't it? And it's wrong in the outline as well. Uh, so, Jeroboam is the bad guy. <laughs> uh, Jeroboam is the rebel and Rehoboam is the son. Okay, good. Great. Now, <clears throat> it is confusing. Uh, now, Solomon had certainly been blessed by God with material wealth. And, uh, but Solomon, during his lifetime, he started to... He took his eye off the ball and he started to look to material wealth as being that which would bring him satisfaction in life. And we know that that never works, does it? You know the old saying, how much money does it take to satisfy? Just a little bit more, thank you. And so Solomon craved after more. And what that meant was he placed demands on his people. And you see how they that those demands are described in the delegation that came uh, to Rehoboam. Uh, it was described as being harsh labour and a heavy yoke. Now, did I read those first five verses? Okay, good. Now, a yoke, of course, is what farmers place over the necks of two, two oxen uh, in order to help them to work in tandem as they plough the fields and so on and, and tread the grain, etc. What we have here is a picture of oppression. But now, with, uh, with his son on the throne... What they are hoping for is a fresh start. A new king, it's a new day, it's a fresh start. And so they sent a delegation. And in verse 6, he told them to come back in three days for his decision. Now that sounds wise, doesn't it? Because wise leaders, good leaders, always surround themselves with good people, knowledgeable people, and they seek wisdom from those people. So firstly, in verses 6 and 7, he went to the older men who had been the advisors of his father. And that sounds like a smart thing to do, doesn't it? Go to the older, experienced people, they'll know what to do. But listen to their advice. They replied, If you'll be kind to these people and please them and give them a favourable answer, they will always be your servants. Now, what do you think of that advice? How does that sound to you? It's politically shrewd, isn't it? Don't you think? I mean, especially for a new 41-year-old king who has yet to establish himself and to build relationship with his people to gain their affection. It is politically shrewd advice. Give them what they want now and they will serve you during their lives. 
politically shrewd advice, but it is ungodly advice. It is ungodly advice because they are not concerned that he should serve the people well. This is a trap. They are concerned that the people should serve him well. In Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus pointed out that this is actually how pagans treat their people. This is how pagan rulers do business. Whereas uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, he came to serve. Uh, it is true that um, God raises up people to be leaders, leaders amongst his people, leaders within his church. But God raises up people who serve by leading, but they lead by serving. That's how it's done. And uh, this uh, politically shrewd but ungodly advice has come from men who presumably advised Solomon in his oppressive policies. Rehoboam rejected their advice, um, not because it was ungodly advice, but rather because he was a, even a fool in the eyes of the world, because he lacked the wisdom in the way that um, politics operates. And so in verses 8 to 10, he now turns to the fresh faces amongst the political elite. He turns to the young men who were his peers, his contemporaries, the same age as him. Let's look at verse 10. The young men who had grown up with him replied, Tell the people who have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. What do you think of that advice? Um, this is a crude response at a number of levels. Uh, I understand that the word that is translated as little finger could actually refer to another part of his anatomy and that this is actually the polite translation. Right? Um, the term scorpions... Uh, could actually could be scorpions, but it could refer to a particular type of barbed whip, like a cat of nine tails, something that would actually uh, tear your flesh, rip your flesh off your body. Now, whatever the case, you get the idea, don't you? Uh, what they're telling him is threaten them. Uh, let them know who's boss. Do not give them one inch. Now, uh, Rehoboam may have been able to claim that he consulted wise, widely. He might be able to say, look, I went to the older advisors, I got their advice, I went to the younger advisors and got their advice and I've made my decision. Um, who did he not consult? He didn't consult God, did he? And this is a, a lesson that uh, his grandfather David learnt the first time that he attempted to bring the ark up to Jerusalem that he didn't consult God and David learnt that when you don't 
turn to God. When you don't consult God, then don't expect things to turn out well for you. And this is the person who he has not consulted. We might be people who are um, shrewd and smart in, and clever in the ways of the world. We might be people who know how to achieve um, our outcomes and to do so through manipulation and politicking and so on. But what we need is godly wisdom. And godly wisdom is that which is shaped by the king who came not to be served, but to serve. Now, Rehoboam uh, didn't waste any time becoming a tyrant. Some tyrants take decades to become that way. This guy started out that way. And so when the delegation returned, uh, Rehoboam delivered the news. Uh, you think that uh, my father gave you a hard time? Well, get ready. Hold on to your seats, folks, because my yoke will break your backs. My whip will tear your flesh. Now, this is dreadful, isn't it? And yet in verse 15, we're told that this turn of events, this turning point for Israel, was actually from God. Now, that puts us into a bit of a pickle, doesn't it? I mean, how can that be? Why would God do this? Well, again, uh, the background to it is in 1 Kings chapter 11, where God had pronounced judgment on Solomon. Because Solomon, uh, not only did he become materialistic, uh, he had married uh, lots of women, lots of women, and women who didn't share his faith in the God of Israel. And these women seduced him uh, into idolatry, into uh, worshipping pagan gods. And so God is a God of promise. God is a God who keeps his promises. God had promised some good things to Solomon. Now he promises him judgment. He promised Solomon that one of his subordinates would be given the kingdom. Uh, he promised Solomon that because he'd made an earlier promise to David about an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting king, that, uh, uh, that he would not do so in Solomon's day, that he would do so in the days of his son, and that the son would be allowed to keep one tribe. And so this is what's being played out here. Uh, it does raise the issue for us, though, which is that God never causes anyone to sin. You can't say that uh, God... Uh, that we need to take responsibility for our sins. We need to take personal, personal responsibility for our sin. Don't blame others. Don't blame God. However, at times, God uses the effects of human sin to achieve his good purposes. We see some examples of that in Scripture. For example, Joseph. Uh, when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery... Uh, he is later able to say to him that you guys meant it for evil, but God used it for good. We see this, of course, in the arrest and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it was wicked men who put him to death on a cross, but God used their sinful actions to bring about his ultimate good. Now, 
God here did not restrain Jeroboam, um, Rehoboam, the son. Which one is it? Okay, he did not, at least we got you guys interested. (laughs) Uh, God did not restrain Rehoboam from making this uh, foolish and ungodly decision, uh, for it was in fact part of God's plan for judgment. And that does tell us, folks, that we need to take God's judgment very seriously, don't we? And so, in verses 16 to 19... The king now has a rebellion on his hands. Uh, Let's pick that up in verse uh, 16. When all of Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king saying, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. It's a bit poetic there, isn't it? But what we see there is that they have they've rejected the Davidic uh, dynasty. They've rejected the Davidic kingdom. And they've rejected the Davidic line, the house of David. Now, we know from 1 Kings that they then made Solomon's subordinate, uh, Jeroboam, their king. But here... The the tribe of Judah, whose territory included Jerusalem, they remained loyal to Rehoboam, as did the tribe of Benjamin, which had somehow become a little bit merged with Judah. What it does mean is that there are now two kingdoms. There is what is referred to commonly as Israel in the north, and there is Judah in the south. Now, what does Rehoboam do about this? Well, he's not going to just accept that. And so, plan A is to try the diplomatic solution. So, he sends his envoy, he sends his representative in verse 18, a man by the name of Adoniram, to negotiate with the rebels. But what do we know about Adoniram? Who was he? we're told that he was the man who is in charge of the forced labour department of the government. I mean, what a foolish decision that was. The exact person that the rebels wanted to get their hands on, which they did. Dumb move. Plan B then was to send in the military. But in chapter 11, verse 2, God broke his silence through a prophet... And God's message to Rehoboam was simple. Drop it. Let it go. This is from me. It's my will. And just for a change, Israel, they they decided to obey God. It's a dreadful story. The great nation of Israel, to which the rulers of the world would travel thousands of kilometres across the desert to get there to experience the wisdom of Israel's king and the splendour of Israel's blessing, that great kingdom is now divided. And as Jesus once said, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Yet, in chapters 11 and 12, we see that this is a good news, bad news story. What would you like to hear first, by the way? 
I like to hear the good news, so it softens the blow for the bad news. The good news is that although the two kings were ungodly, there were still godly people. Uh, the king of the, in the north, Jeroboam, uh, he had set up, um, he was concerned that people would be travelling down south to Jerusalem to worship at the temple and that their affection for the south would grow as a result of that. So he wanted to stop that from happening. So what he did was he set up some uh, shrines in the north uh, with uh, idols like calves and so on and uh, so that people could worship there. A lot more convenient than having to travel down to Jerusalem. Um, have a look in chapter 11, verse 13. The priests and Levites from all their districts throughout Israel sided with him that is, with Rehoboam in the south. The Levites even abandoned their pasture lands and property and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. And he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat and calf idols he had made. Those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, three years, walking in the ways of David and Solomon during this time. Now, when you think about the Christian church it really is a nonsense to think that the church is an institution um, the church is not an institution is that the church is actually made up of people and but within the people who gather there actually will be those who truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and live with him as their king um, here in verse 16 we actually get a picture of the true kingdom of Israel. In verse 16, we're told about people who set their hearts on seeking the Lord. They're the true kingdom, aren't they? Uh, some of the Levites in the north had made the costly decision to, to give up their land, to give up their physical inheritance and to move south to Jerusalem, and others followed them. Now that is leadership, isn't it? That's the true leadership of Israel happening. That is spiritual leadership, that, that is leadership of those who have a heart for the Lord and are prepared to pay the price of abandoning their, their, their land, their assets, so that they can be worshipping God in Jerusalem. And of course, the very definition of leadership is that leaders have followers and they led people in the ways of the Lord and so other people followed them. That is spiritual leadership in action. Now, this is the good news. The bad news is that they were a small minority. Um, pick it up at chapter 12, verse 1. After Rehoboam's position as king was established... And he had become strong, he and all of Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. They abandoned the law of the Lord. 
Do you know that to abandon the law of the Lord means to abandon God? It's the same thing, isn't it? Um, you can't, God, God is his word. Uh, you can't say that I love the law of, you know, I love God, but I just can't stand the law of Moses. Um, you can't say, if someone said to you, I, <coughs> I love God, but I just don't believe the Bible, or I don't believe in the Apostle Paul's writings, then that's a contradiction, isn't it? Because the Bible is God's word, and you can't separate God from his word. If you reject God's word, then you reject God. That's the reality of it. And that is a very dangerous thing to do. It is dangerous to abandon God. Chapter 12, verse 5, this is what the Lord says, You have abandoned me, therefore I now abandon you. That's justice, isn't it? God abandoned them to Shishak, who was the king of Egypt in the late 10th century BC. Now, Jeroboam, we're told, uh, in uh, chapter 11, had built uh, fortification around the cities of Jerusalem, most likely because he had his eye on what was going on in Egypt, but it made no difference because you can build whatever fortification you like around a city. There is no fortification, there is no military, there is no artillery, there are no walls that can actually thwart the judgment of God. As the Egyptians captured every city except Jerusalem. And yet in this judgment, the mercy of God shines through. We see that in chapter 12, verse 6. The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is just. And when the Lord saw that they had humbled themselves, this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, he's the prophet, Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however, become subject to him so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. Who would you rather serve? Israel's greatness uh, didn't last very long, did it? But there is a reason why God had left David's grandson, uh, Rehoboam, uh, with one tribe. It meant that there was still a throne of David. It meant that the promise of an eternal kingdom was still intact. Uh, the, the king had made a promise to his people, hadn't he? His promise was, my father laid a heavy yoke on you, I will make it even heavier. That's my commitment to you. That's my promise. It's a very different promise to a much later Davidic king. It's a very different king in the line of David who promised a better yoke. My yoke is easy, said Jesus. And my burden is light. 
Now, we may not be oppressed by political rulers, but we all serve someone or something. Wherever our heart lies, that is our master, that is our ruler, that is our king. The promise of Satan is that if we abandon God, then we will actually obtain freedom and true life, the easy life. And it's a lie. For in this life, we become enslaved to whatever we serve. And in the next life, we face judgment for abandoning God. Are you weary? Are you burdened by the guilt of your sin? Well, come to me, says Jesus, in Matthew 11, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. Because, friends, in serving Jesus, the one, the King, who took our yoke upon himself on the cross, who died for our sins, that we would be released from the burden of sin and guilt and judgment. For in serving Jesus, we find true rest for our souls. On the cross, he took the burden of our sin. And we can see, therefore, just how different he is. He is the king who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us, for you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the true king, the king who has taken our burden upon himself, the king who brings us true freedom, true liberty. Father, we pray for each one of us that we would not abandon you, but rather that we would see that in serving you is found true life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to sing now, so I'll hand over to...